So, Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask, Almighty God, that you would teach us by the power and the revelation of your Ruach as your words come alive in our hearts and minds. We, may we fully understand how to properly apply these to our daily living so that any, our thoughts, our deeds, everything that we do or say or think about are pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Yeshua's name, amen. Praise be unto God. One of the books that I preached through a few years ago was the book of Matthew, 28 chapters. And then the Lord said, now go to the book of Acts, another 28 chapters. Today, we're starting in a brand new book, a letter. And the title of the book in most of your translations is James. But the author's original name was not James. So his mother never opened up the door and said, James, time for lunch. No, she said Yaakov, translated into Jacob, and then later then to fit into the English language into James. And so with this, we need a proper introduction of who this individual is. Who is this Yaakov, this Jacob, this James? And so let us begin with his introduction. So Yaakov, Jacob James, he served as a chief rabbi of this early Messianic Jewish community. Centered where? In Rome, in Paris, in Moscow, in Washington, D.C., no, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And so there are a lot of different Yaakovs that are mentioned in the scripture, are they not? So we have to, de to determine now, by the scripture, this individual's identity. And so we need to now look at the book of Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse number 18. Because this is the time and the setting where Yeshua called his 12 Talmudim, who later would become apostles. And with that, Yeshua called them. And so let us begin here. Because there's some other Yaakovs that many other people are more familiar with than this, this other Yaakov that wrote the book of Yaakov. And let's begin at verse number 18. And sometimes when I write things down, I write them down incorrectly. So I'm going to double check myself. Yes, I did. This would be Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse uh, Seventeen. My apologies. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Yeshua began proclaiming, Turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As he walked by the lake, Kinneret, he saw two brothers who were fishermen, Shimon, Simon, 
known as Kepha, Peter, and his brother Andrew, throwing their net into the lake. Yeshua said to them, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and went with him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, Yaakov, could this be him? Ben Zabadi and Yohanan, his brother. No, it's not this Yaakov. Let's continue. In the boat with their father, Zavadi, repairing their nets, and he called them. And at once they left their boat and their father, and they went with Yeshua. Now let us go ahead and turn to that other portion there, which is Matthew chapter 6, and beginning at verse number 18. Excuse me, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. It was around that time that Yeshua went out to the hill country to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. And when that day came, he saw his, Tal- his Talmudim. He called his Talmudim and chose them from among the twelve to be known as emissaries. Shimon, whom he named Kepha, Peter, Andrew, his brother, Yaakov, Yohanan, Philip, Bartolome, Matthew, Matthew, Thomas, Thomas, and Yaakov ben Halfei. Shimon, the one called the Zealot, Yehuda ben Yaakov, and Yehuda from Kirot, who turned to be the traitor. So here we see that there are two Yaakovs in the original 12, but neither of them are this Yaakov that wrote the book of Yaakov. There's also two Yehudas, Judas here. And so let us continue now on our journey. So Yaakov, Jacob, James served as the chief rabbi in the early Messianic Jewish community, centered in Jerusalem. He was a Torah teacher par excellence, spokesman from the entire community and chief judge of authority refers to Jewish religious law which means that Yaakov interpreted and applied community practices based on his understanding of the Torah. Where do we find this? But in the book of Acts, chapter 15. This is an excellent introduction to this individual and the authority that was given to him. Did you notice This individual is not one of the original 12 apostles. And in some Bible colleges, they teach this. That you had to be an apostle to teach and to write the Brit Hadashah. But Yaakov, this Yaakov, wasn't one of the original 12. Are there others? that wrote part of the Brit Hadashah, that were not also part of the original 12? Yes. Two others, Luke and Mark. They were not also of the original 12. 
So going forward here, now we're in Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Yehuda, Judah, to Antioch and began teaching the brothers. You can't be saved unless you undergo the Brit Milah, which is the rite of circumcision, in the manner prescribed by Moshe, Moses. This brought them into no small measure of discord and dispute with Shaul and Barnabas, who is Barnabas. So the congregation assigned Shaul and Barnabas and some of themselves to go and put a Shelah, that's a question, dealing with a Jewish law, before the emissaries, that's the apostles, and the elders in Jerusalem. After being sent off by the congregation, they made their way through Phoenicia and Sharon, recounting in detail how the Gentiles had turned to God, and this news brought great joy to all the brothers. On arrival in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the Messianic community, including the emissaries, the elders, and they reported what God had done through them. But some of those who came to trust were from the party of whom? The Parashim, the Pharisees. And they stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the Torah of Moshe. The emissaries and the elders met to look into this matter. After lengthy debate, Wait a second, debates go on in the house of the Lord? Yes, it does. Kepha got up, Peter, and said to them, Brothers, you yourselves know that God's, that a good while back God chose me from among you to be one whose mouth the Gentiles should hear the message of the good news and come to trust. And God knows the heart and bore them witness by giving the Ruach HaKodesh to them, just as he did to us. That is, he made no distinction between us and them, between them being Jews and for the others, the nations. But cleanse their heart by trust. So why are you putting God to the test? By now placing a yoke on the neck of the Talmudim. And who are these Talmudim? But those who have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, the Gentiles, which neither our fathers nor, nor we have the strength to bear. No, it is through the love and kindness of our Lord Yeshua that we trust and we are delivered. And it is the same with them. The whole assembly kept still. As they listened to Barnaba, Barnabas and Shaul, tell what the signs and the miracles God has done through them among the Gentiles, among the nations. Yaakov, here he is. Here's the guy we've been looking for. Yaakov broke the silence to reply. Brothers, he said, hear what I have to say. Shimon has told in detail. Who's Shimon here? But Simon Peter, Kepha. So Shimon has told in detail what God has done when he first began to show his concern for taking from among the Gentiles a people to bear his name. Alan touched on, on this a little bit in his reading from uh, uh, Davarim, Deuteronomy today. 
And the words of the prophets are in complete harmony, for it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the fallen tent of David. I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, and so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, that is, all the nations who have been called by my name, says Adonai, who is doing these things. And so, is this Yaakov? Is he just giving a brand new revelation? Absolutely not. How do we know this? Because he's speaking to them directly, and he's quoting a scripture verse from one of the prophets in the Tanakh. You know what his name is? Amos. So now let us take a look to see what Amos has to say here, directly from the word of God. So turn with me now to the book of Amos. Because you just don't want to go by what this rabbi has to say. We are to what? Be like the Bereans. And we are to search the scriptures diligently. Because those that were in that, that assembly there, they knew these words by heart. Because they did not have a copy of the Tanakh in their homes. That was in the local synagogues. And so most likely they are meeting in a synagogue in Jerusalem where they have readily access to the book of Amos. And so we're looking at here at Amos chapter 9 and verse uh, 11. And this is what it says. All the sinners among my people. Who's his people? Israel. Who say disaster will never overtake us or confront us will die by the sword. That's verse number 10. I was supposed to start in verse number 11. I apologize. When that day comes, I will rise up. The fallen, in some of your translations, is tent or tabernacles. But in this complete Jewish Bible, it says the sukkah. How appropriate is it not? What we're about to celebrate tomorrow night at sundown. But the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. When the day comes when I rise up the fallen sukkah David, I will close up its gaps and raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as it used to be. So Israel can possess what is left of Edom and of all the nations bearing my name. See, there's a clue to us right there. If you study diligently, he's saying those that are a remnant and the nations that bear his name. This is what, underneath the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh, the scripture came to the mind and the heart of Yaakov. So that those who were part of the Pharisees who came to put their trust in Messiah Yeshua would realize that this was part of God's plan to graft in those wild olive branches to the cultivated olive tree of the nation of Israel. 
And so going forward, and we have to set all these foundational stones because when we start going through the book of Yaakov, Jacob, people tend to misapply things. There are times when the people in the church start appropriating things that God said is only for Israel and then say, well, this is for us. But there's proper application to know and to be able to discern what the nations who have been grafted into the common wealth of Israel can apply certain portions of it. As an example, Israel is the example to the nations. That's, as Ellen shared earlier, God disciplines his children. First with his Jewish people, and then for those who are grafted into the nations. And so we have to have all the proper perspective in this. So we'll rightly teach and discern God's word in a very, very proper way. So let us continue here. So with this, Yaakov, he was respected in the non-Messianic Jewish world also. That is a determination of those who still have the veil over their eyes. In the whole Jewish community, in the land of Israel, he was well respected. So continuing here. He was also referred as a Zadik. That's a Hebrew word. And what does that mean? He was considered a righteous person. He was well respected in the Jewish community. Of those that had the veil over their eyes who had not received Messiah Yeshua. So let's continue here. So understanding Yaakov, the book, in these contexts can help us better understand the purpose of this book and why it was written. Continuing, behind the Koine Greek, that was a common language of the people of that day because of the influence of Alexander the Great. And some people ask, well, why wasn't the Brit Hadashah all written in Hebrew? Because it was to be a language to help graft in the nations. And so that was a common language of most people during that time. Just like English today, when you communicate with other nations around the world, a lot of them prefer to use that from an economic basis. So let's continue here. So behind the Konean Greek, there are thoroughly Torah-based concepts. And the textual sources from the subjects he addresses, Yaakov, are from where the five books of Moses. And so what are these books in English? Genesis in Hebrew, Berjit. Second book in English, Exodus. In Hebrew, Shemot. Third book in English, Leviticus. Its name in Hebrew, Vaikra. Fourth book, Bamidbar. In English, Numbers. And the last book, the one that we just completed, the Torah cycle, Deuteronomy in English, in Hebrew, Davarim. He does not present a new teaching but he's using a uniquely Messianic Jewish view of the Torah-based as seen in his encouraging 
the Esiat Haftorah. In other words, in English, translated, the practical application of the Torah teachings for daily living and doing what is honoring in the sight of Abba, Father God. It is crucial now to see the continuity between the teachings of both Yaakov, Jacob, and Shaul, Saul. Two often incorrect understandings of Yaakov's writings on faith and actions or trust and actions leads the reader to view them as holding diametrically opposed views. One of the best illustrations I've heard is this. If you take out a coin, a coin has two sides. And it's going towards the same purpose. But they look from two different perspectives. The coin remains a coin. The value does not, is not depleted. But it's coming from two different directions to meet at the same destination. So let us continue here. So... Faith and actions leads the reader to view them as holding a total diametrically opposed views about the role of faith and the function of actions. Or we can say, to make it a little bit easier to understand, works. Your righteous works proves that you're saved. We're to do good deeds, do good mitzvot. Because we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds and hearts to do only what is pleasing in the Father's sight. So let us continue here. So the role of faith and function and actions here, we should think of actions as a misvote. To simplify in the English is this, the faithful performance of biblical commandments. You're to what? Honor your mother and father? Just as an example. This is how the first century Jewish world defined the concept of actions. All first century Jews, including Messianic Jews, saw the performance of the biblical commandments as stemming from one's faith in God and never opposition to it. It's living out your faith with demonstrations. You can walk up to anyone and open up the Bible and quote scriptures to them, but if they do not see a transformation going on in your own life, our words are hollow and they're empty. Is God's word null and void? Absolutely not. But by our actions, the hope that is in us, we have to demonstrate that by our daily lives. And if we're not being transformed in the image and likeness of Yeshua's character, we're being misled and we're misleading ourselves and others. So let us continue here. Keeping the mitzvot was a result of their relationship with God, not to earn a relationship with him. I've done a lot of counseling with people from the nations, and they keep feeling, I have to earn this, I have to earn this, I have to earn this. No, Yeshua has done it all. Now he wants to complete his work within you because they are predisposed to fall into what? Condemnation, but there is there for no more condemnation for those who are in Messiah. Are we walking and living by that? 
Or are we beating up ourselves sideways? It's one thing to be convicted of your sin and desire repentance, teshuva, to go back to God, to turn, go the opposite way, back towards him. And it's another thing to beat ourselves, to place ourselves into a, a prison cell of condemnation. Because when we allow us to enter into that jail cell, Hasatan rejoices because he has us deceived and has us not fulfilling God's free will. For the Lord has set us free. Yes, we are free indeed. Let's continue here. So the kikma of the mitzvot was a result of the relationship with God, not to earn a relationship. In Jewish thought, the purpose of fulfilling the biblical commandments was never to earn entrance into the world to come. If we understand Yaakov's belief that faith in God and in his Messiah, Yeshua, is the basis for correctly fulfilling the biblical commandments, then his book now makes more sense. The letter was most likely one of the first books written in the Brit Hadashah, between 46 and 60 of the Common Era. And so according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, Yaakov was martyred in 62 Common Era. And then when you think about the timing and the setting, the book of Acts was not written until between 60 and 62, the Common Era. But this letter was written between 46 and 60, the Common Era. The temple was still there when this book was written. And so now, let's get a better introduction of this man as we go on this discovery together. Now let us turn to the book of John, chapter 7. John chapter 7. You may be thinking, Rabbi, why are we going here? Because the time and the setting, we'll get to understand a little bit more of who this individual is, but also the time and the settings. Because there are times as you learn about the Feast of the Lord and you read these scriptures that speak about the Feast of the Lord, both in the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, you understand the timing and the setting of when Yeshua was doing these. And so then it makes it the time when you celebrate the Feast of the Lord, if you choose to do so, those who are from the nations, you understand the chronological order that was going in a yearly cycle in Yeshua's own life. And those who have been grafted from the nations in the commonwealth of Israel, these are called the Feasts of the Lord. Many times we say, well, they're the Jewish feasts. No, it was the Lord that established them. These are shadows of him, which he shall fulfill. The first four have been fulfilled, the spring ones. And the fall feasts, the Lord will fulfill them in the proper order, dealing with the nation of Israel as he brings salvation to the Jewish people as a nation in the future. Let's begin in, uh, in Yohanan chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Yeshua traveled around Galil, Galilee, intentionally avoiding Yehuda, Judah, the lower portion of the nation, because the Judean leaders were out to kill him. But the festival of what? Some translations, it's tabernacles. Some translations, it's booth. But in this one, it says the festival of Sukkot. So where are we today? We just celebrate Yom Kippur. And now sundown, tomorrow night, Sunday evening, 
this Feast of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, began. So, but the festival of Sukkot in Yehuda was near. Are we there yet? No, we're, we're a day ahead of that. So now we're in the proper life and times of Yeshua in his daily, yearly, as a Jew fulfilling Torah. Let's continue. So his brothers said to him, whose brothers? Yeshua's brothers. Leave here and go into Yehuda, so that your Talmudim, your disciples, can see the miracles you do. For no one wants to become known, acts in secret. If you're doing these things to show yourself to the world, his brothers spoke this way because they had not put their trust in him. And what is the book of Yaakov all about? Trust and actions. So what is that testimony right there of Yeshua's brother Yaakov? He did not believe in him. He had not put his trust in him. Later, as we go through this message, you not be today, another time, he also has another brother. And his name is Yehuda, Jude. And there was a book authored by him. But was this Jude one of the original 12 apostles? No, he was not. So let us continue here. We'll get into that detail even more. Verse 5. His brothers spoke this way because they had not put their trust, or you can interject the word faith, in him. Yeshua said to them, My time has not come, but for you any time is right. See, he was doing what the Father asked him to do. He didn't predispose upon the Father, but he spent time daily interceding with the Father in his presence so he could get the direct orders to the Father because he came to do what? To fulfill his Father's will. Continue in verse 7. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I'm telling, I'm telling it how wicked its ways are. Oh, this is... Oh, wait a second, Rabbi. I only know the meek and mild Jesus, Yeshua. No, he pulled no punches. He called sin, sin. He knew the thoughts and the intentions of everyone around him. Let's continue here. You go up to the festival. As for me, I'm not going up to the festival now. Underline that word. Because this was part of the Modim. As a male of the house of Israel, he was determined, and the Lord determined, his father, that he had to go to this feast. But not now. Because the right time for me has not yet come. He knew he had to go. Every male and those in the diaspora would travel many, many miles on ship or by horse or by cart so they could be in the land of Israel to celebrate these appointed days. Having said this, he stayed on in Galil. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the festival. He too went up, not publicly, but in secret. 
At the festival, the Judeans were looking for him, the Judean leaders. Why? Because they were very upset with him. Where is he, they asked. And among the crowds, there was much whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. But others said, no, he's deceiving the masses. Did you hear that? This is the Son of God, the representative of God the Father, through whom the Torah was given to Moshe. There's a veil over their eyes. They cannot perceive nor discern, nor they can see clearly. However, no one spoke about him openly for fear of who? The Judean leaders. Because the common people loved him. Continuing. Not until the festival was half over. How many days do we celebrate Sukkot? Seven. Let's continue. Did Yeshua go up to the temple courts and began to teach? The Judean leaders were surprised. How does this man know so much without having studied? They asked. So Yeshua gave them an answer. My teachings are not my own. And any true pastor or any true rabbi who's serving the Lord, their teachings are not their own. They come from the Father through the prophets of the Tanakh and the apostles of the Brit Hadashah. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. We're all sent. Continuing. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or I speak on my own. He's speaking directly to them about their own relationship through the Torah with God the Father. Continuing here. A person who speaks of his own is trying to win praise for himself. But a person who tries to win praise for the one who sent him is honest, and there's nothing false about him. Didn't Moshe give you the Torah? Yet not one of you obeys the Torah. Talk about a cold slap in the face. He doesn't mince words. They were fulfilling the Torah according to what the rabbis We're trying to fulfill Torah. And why did Yeshua come? To fulfill Torah. Only through Messiah, his works, transformation in our lives, that we're being transformed in the image and likeness and the character of Messiah. And then he asks this question Why are you out to kill me? They say you have a demon. The crowd answered. Who's out to kill you? Yeshua answered them, I did this one thing because of this you are amazed. Moshe gave you the Brit Milah, not that it came from Moshe, but from the patriarchs. And you do a boy's Brit Milah circumcision on Shabbat. If a boy is circumcised on Shabbat so that the Torah of Moshe will not be broken, why are you angry with me because I made a man's whole body well on Shabbat? Stop judging by surface appearances and judge the right way. Wasn't that part of Alan's Torah portion? That we're to judge things rightly? 
not by our own thoughts, but by knowing the mind of the Lord who gives us and judges things rightfully. Continuing. Some of the, of the Yerushalayim people said, isn't this the man they're out to kill? Yet here he's speaking openly and they do not say anything to him. It couldn't be, could it? That the authorities have actually concluded that he is the Messiah? Surely not. We know where this man comes from. But when Messiah comes, not one, no one will know where he comes from. Whereupon Yeshua continued to teach in the temple courts, cried out, Indeed, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I have not come of my own. The one who sent me is real, but him you don't know. I know him because I am with him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. However, many in the crowd put their trust in him and said, When the Messiah comes, will he do more miracles than this man has done? The Pershim, the Pharisees, heard the crowd whispering these things about Yeshua. So the head coining, the high priest, and the Pershim sent some of the temple guards to arrest him. Yeshua said, I will be with you only a little while longer. Then I will go away to the one who sent me. You will look for me and not find me. Indeed, where I am, you cannot come. The Judeans said to themselves, where is the man about to go? That we won't find him. Does he intend to go to the Greek diaspora and teach the Greek-speaking Jews? And when he says, you will look for me and not find me, indeed, where I am, you cannot come. What does he mean? Now on the last day, the festival of Hosanna Rabbah, Yeshua stood and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from his innermost being. Now he's, he said this about the spirit, the Ruach, whom those who trusted in him were to receive later. The spirit had not yet been given because Yeshua had not yet been glorified. And on hearing his words, some people in the crowd said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But others said, how can the Messiah come from Galil? Doesn't the Tanakh say that Messiah is from the seed of David and comes from Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So the people were divided because of him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. The guards came back to the head Kohenim, the high priest, and the Purushim, the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? The guards replied, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks. You mean you've been taken in as well? The Purushim retorted, has any of the authorities trusted him or any of the Purushim? No, according to their opinion. True, these Am Haretz, 
That word in Hebrew is common people of the land. The land, the land of Israel. Do, but they know nothing about the Torah. And they are under a curse. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. The man who had gone to Yeshua before and was one of them said to them, Our Torah does not condemn a man, does it, until after hearing from him and finding out what he is doing. They replied, You aren't from Galil too, are you? Study the Tanakh and see for yourself that no prophet from comes from Galil. Then all they left, each one to his own home. And so with this, we see that even Yeshua's own household, there were those that did not believe in him. So we're on this journey here with Yaakov, learning who he is and understanding the dynamics of his life. And so now let us uh, turn quickly now to Samuel. Second Samuel. And we're in verse number one. Second uh, Samuel chapter uh, seven, verse 12 and 13. It's beautiful how portions of this has tied into Alan's Torah reading today. And so here we are in 2 Samuel. And we're going to go to verse number, chapter number 7. And we'll read uh, 12. And this is the Lord speaking. Moreover, Adonai tells you that Adonai will make you a house. When your days come to an end and you sleep with your ancestors and who's this individual is being spoken to but King David himself I will establish one of your descendants to succeed you one from your own flesh and blood and I will set up his rulership he will build a house for my name and I will establish his royal throne forever so that's the scripture portion here that, that was alluded to about Yeshua being from the house of David. Now let us turn quickly to Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Micah chapter 5. We're getting a workout today, are we not? And this is the, just the introduction to the book of Yaakov. Because we have to set down these firm foundational stones. So Micah, chapter 5, in some translations is chapter 2. But you, Beit Lechem, Bethlehem, near Ephrat, so small among the clans of Yehuda, out of you will come forth to me a future ruler of Israel, whose origins are far in the past, back in ancient times. Wait a second. Who's this speaking of? Who, who could this be? But the Messiah himself. Therefore, he will give up Israel only until she who is in labor gives birth. Then the rest of his kinsmen will return to the people of Israel. 
And so this is the prophetic word of where the Messiah, the, the, the descendant of David, who shall reign forever, and yet he is from the ancient past, the ancient of days. Undeniable. It is hidden in the scriptures. And that's why when Yeshua said, you know who I am. And how would they know who he is? But by what the Tanakh reveals to the holy prophets. And also where he would be born. So where was Yeshua born? Was he born in Galilee? Or Bethlehem? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And so now as we, as we go here a little deeper, and we'll finish on this today, we're going to get a little bit of testimony. You know, there are families that have very, very unique family history. And Yaakov, Jacob's family history, is very, very unique. I don't think anyone else has as much uniqueness in their family history. Now let us turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin at verse number 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. You're turning there. Miriam Mary is told that her son Yeshua would be great, and that the Lord God would give him a throne of his father David, and that he, Yeshua, would reign in his kingdom over the house of Israel, the house of Yaakov forever. And so here we are in Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. In the sixth month of what? Miriam's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel, Gabriel was sent by God to a city in the Galil called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Yosef of the house of David. The virgin's name was Miriam. Approaching her, the angel said, Shalom, favored lady. Adonai is with you. She was deeply troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting is this might be. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Look, you will be, become pregnant. You will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Yeshua. He will be great and he will be called the son of Ha-El-Elon. Adonai God will give him the throne of his forefather David. He will rule the house of Yaakov forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. How can this be, asked Miriam of the angel, since I'm a virgin? Then the angel answered her, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of Ha'elion will cover you. Therefore, the holy child born to you will be called the Son of God. Think about the day when Miriam sat down with her children, her younger children, and spoke to them about the family history. A very unique history. Yaakov, you know your older brother, Yeshua Jesus? He's a little different, isn't he? Well, let me tell you that why he's different. 
And then she related that story with him. But then we fast forward to John chapter 7. And they're kind of mocking him. To go on. Well, you got, you're doing all these miracles. Anybody else would go, hey, take advantage of this. Think about CNN, Fox News, and all those other programs that are out there. Don't you think they would be seizing upon that? Aren't you glad that the Lord came at the appropriate time when he did come? And not a different time? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise be to God. And so with this, still trying to condense everything from my notes here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the good news of Luke, it mentions about Yeshua's brothers and sisters. It names the brothers, but does not name the sisters. And so we're going to close the message at this time, because I know I have it in my notes. You want to investigate that portion there also. And so with this, let us go ahead and begin the first nine verses of the book of Yaakov. Chapter 1, verse 1. The title of the message, and I didn't give it earlier, is a letter from Yaakov to whom? To the 12 tribes in the diaspora. And so with that, he's not writing to 12 uh, Gentile churches. But he's writing to, specifically, to his own Jewish brethren who came to know Messiah. And now they're dispersed. Beginning at verse 1. From Yaakov, a slave of God, and also of Yeshua the Messiah. To the twelve tribes in the diaspora, shalom. Regard it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations. For you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives all generously, without reproach. It will be given to him, but let him ask in trust or faith, doubting nothing. For the doubter is like a wave upon the sea, being tossed and driven by the wind. Indeed, that person should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother in humble circumstances boast about his high position, but let the rich brother boast about him being humbled, since like a wildflower, he will pass away. Praise be unto God. So Father God, would you thank you for this day? We want to give you glory and honor and praise in Yeshua's name.